Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth, plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data, rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Talk Data to Me series. We've got a uh, a, a serious data hero here with us today. It's Jessica Cow. Jessica's uh, one of the top experts in the world uh, for Adobe Marketo and has numerous accolades from mar being a mar multi-time Marketo champion to Fearless 50 and I'm sure a bunch of other really cool things. I bet you get a bunch of swag from them, but um, uh, she also works with a really great uh, implementation firm, Digital Pi, and has been with them for a really long time, has helped uh, I, I would bet you can't count on two hands uh, how many companies she's helped with big challenges. And yeah, so we're, we're happy to have you today. Well, thanks for having me today. And like all my purple swag is in my office that you can't see right now. So it is decked out in purple, that's for sure. <laughs> I bet your shoes have some Marketo on them somewhere. But... They sure do. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we always like to kind of just start things out by getting to know you a little bit and know how you went about this journey to becoming a data hero. Well, I can tell you that my origin story is probably like no one else. It's, it's usually I get a lot of double takes from like, how did you, how did you start from, you know, I have a PhD in cancer biology. So I was a, a doing bench research in cancer research for well over 15 years um, before, before I uh, graduated and, you know, entered the, the workforce. So, um, you know, you can kind of say I've been dealing with, I mean, my PhD was in actually in data. And so if you think about it, so, so my degree where I spent, you know, a lot of time at the bench and researching and analyzing the data was really in understanding breast cancer. Um, and, and my entire thesis was really based on, can we use data signals, right? So your genetics, your genes, your DNA, to understand the difference and predict, right? It's that predictive piece to predict if someone had a aggressive breast cancer signature versus a non-aggressive. Because if you think about it, when you are diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, doctors will you know, guess and, and, and try things, but we don't know if it's going to become aggressive or not. So it's almost like you're taking data points to understand like, well, can we predict so that we can start treatment earlier if we know you're going to be aggressive or not? Um, and that exact same thinking around, right, because we're dealing with lots of data, is the exact same thinking and analysis that we use in marketing operations as a marketer each day and every day, because we're looking for data signals and data points to understand and identify and predict who is most likely going to be a customer, right? We want to do more of those things and who isn't going, is going to be really hard to convert, right? So it's really the exact same thing. And so I've just been a data, you know, junkie for my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the best marketers are data driven. So it makes a lot of sense that you'd come from a background where you were 
looking at a lot of information that drives, you know, hopefully good outcomes. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the things we always like to do in marketing. And um, we also have another question about kind of just personally, if you weren't doing what you were doing today, like what would you be doing? Um, I mean, I, I love what I do today. So that's, you know, kind of hard. But if I wasn't doing what I was doing today, and like, for example, if I had all the money in the world, and I could just do, you know, with it, um, which is actually I, I do today to a bit, which is I teach yoga. Um, I've been teaching yoga for the past 10 years. Um, I still actually I still teach I, um, you know, I was at with 24 hour fitness for a good seven years before the pandemic. Um, and obviously, the gyms are closed down. I mean, everything's virtual, but I still I still teach um, some of my students um, every Saturday morning and I stream and I still do it as, as a donation of my time. Um, and it's still a passion and love of mine. So I'd probably open up a yoga studio, teach somewhere, maybe stream, <laughs> stream full time. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah, I love yoga. And I, I did. I, I do yoga. I did Bikram yoga one time and, you know, I it was new and I everybody had these water bottles and they were all frozen, like completely solid. And then I had my water bottle, it was just re regular. And I realized quickly why they froze their water bottles because it's 90 minutes and it slowly melts. And if you have a full bottle of water, you just drink it as fast as you can kind of. And I was, yeah, really having a hard time, but I love that. That's really oh, that's cool. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And I still take classes. So I still take a yoga class, really a handstand class to keep, challenging myself so so yeah twice a week i'm still actually in my office my other half of my office is my yoga studio that's so cool <laughs> um beach yoga that's my favorite you know i taught um i taught beach yoga for one of the sales kickoff for one of the companies that i work work with and we had a sales kickoff in puerto rico so i was teaching yoga every morning on the beach so it was fun oh, that's amazing <laughs> lucky people <laughs> Um, that's so cool. So let's jump kind of into how you ha see that your clients and just, you know, overall just best practices for using data. One of the key topics our audience really likes to better understand is like, let's just say you go into a company that wants you to help with strategy, whether that's, you know, creating more demand or, you know, getting more from the customer life cycle. Uh, everybody always wants to know, like, what's the ideal account profile before it's before the personas like when it comes down to analyzing how to profile and target accounts do you see that there's a you know a strategy that's been really good for you or a set of data that's been maybe underutilized but really helps that um you know you'd like to share your experiences on i mean so if, if you're talking about like identifying icp and then and then yeah so yes. yeah so so i think I think, well, one, which is right, which is before we even talk about data, we're talking about, you know, from a business standpoint, which is, you know, understanding like who your ICP is. I think, I think it's actually cyclical, right? Because we're not doing this stuff in a vacuum, right? Like usually it starts with, well, who are my customers today? And that also helps drive the definition of the ICP. And then you kind of decide from there, well, you know, you don't want to be all things to everyone. You want to kind of, from a business perspective, go after, you know, make very um, strategic decisions about who you're going to go after and who you're not going to go after versus some, you know, more opportunistic um, endeavors. But then it always comes back to, you know, you, you look at the data, it drives your ICP, you make a strategic decision, and then you go after more of those people. And then there's a data strategy that needs to happen after that 
to go go after more of your ICP, right? So um, I I deal I deal with more of the realm of you know the company really knows best about mm-hmm. who their ICP is, and again, there's other agencies that are a little different, like not so much integration or marketing tech agencies, more of the um, marketing agencies that will help you do workshops of understanding, you know, dry, identifying those ICPs. But where I see a lot and where there's a lot of opportunity, um, where I see people, you know, it, it's once they've identified the ICP, it's the, it's the piece, it's, it's, the, it's the chasm between I have my ICP, I know from a strategic business sense what I want to do, and there's a chasm to execution and operationalizing that. And I think that's where there's a gap and there's, there's where, that's where people like me and, you know, that come in with the experience to help bridge that gap to cross that chasm. Um, because I think either one, you know, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Um, you know, if you've done it a couple of times, it, it helps to have that experience. Um, and there's that best practice, you know, so I can kind of dive deeper into, into that. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the, you know, the chasm. Let's say I know my ideal profile at the account level um, because I've done analysis. And, you know, the funny thing is, is you said something about most people start with their customers. And I always say the same thing. And what if your customers weren't the right targets to begin with? You have the product market fit. So there's some you know background you have to do there and then you know, use data. Um, but once you know. Or if you're going or if you're going after a new market, right? Like, you know, you, you're launching a new product line. Obviously, you don't have those customers. You want to go after a new market. So you need to understand the TAM and, you know, a way to go after that market, right? Like how it's something new. So, so how do you do that? Right. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole analysis that happens, you know, to do that, but really where, where I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunities where the rubber hits the road of, okay, like you said, I know who they are. They might be existing customers, or we know the profile. We, we just need to do more, make our, you know, ourselves more efficient, or we're going after a new one. There's so much data out there, right? And I see a lot of people just like buying lots and lots and lots of tools, right? You see that. Um, and, you know, it's good, you know, I was gonna say, well, buying tools is okay, but there needs to be a data strategy behind it, right? Because it's a no-win situation for you, for me, for my clients, for anyone. It's a no-win situation if you buy a bunch of stuff and you don't use it. Right. It's a a no win for anyone. Right. So I think a lot of the uh, some of the pieces, some of the missing pieces is. People buy a tool and then they try to solve a problem with it and they do it in silos. Right. They don't you know, data is a living, breathing entity that you must respect. Right. Your Marketo instance, the ecosystem, the Salesforce, the CDP, the data warehouse, all of that is an ecosystem that needs a strategy, all the connection, all the pipes from a business side, um, but also needs a global overall strategy for that. And I think think a lot of of times people miss, they just are so focused on connecting the pipes. I bought- Yeah, I agree. Right? I mean, I'm sure you've you've had that and you're trying to help people. Like, hey, it's not just about buying it. If you want to make it sticky, you have to get use out of it. And that's really important. And so so it's thinking through those things that I see you know, a gap in, and, and that's because, you know, if you work at one company, you, you're not going to do it like 10 times, right? You're not going to have an opportunity versus, you know, I've seen it at, you know, 20, 30, 40 different companies and I've seen it. Okay. This way can work and this way can work and this way can work. They're all different. 
that you can assemble the different blocks differently, but you have, but the, but the thought process is still the same, you know, which is you start with the business problem. So, right. Like, so for example, you have your ICP. I know I want to go after these people. My goal is to better target, find those people more efficiently, fill the white space, get those people, get my data clean so I can execute. Right. So there's different, there's different avenues. There's different aspects to the data, right? There's the, um, there's the, you know, I see there's the company level data, right? Do I have that? Um, there's the people, right? Do I have the buying council? You know, do, am I targeting the right people? Right. So that's a, a white space. There's, that's a buying the lead data, right? Versus, um, account level is a data append or an account. You know, I, I need these accounts. I need to go after people in these accounts. What are their job titles? What are their things? And then there's the, then you layer on the predictive, right? Because there's so much data. And, and that's one of the things that I, you know, I talked about at Summit, I guess it's two years ago now, because there's so much data that marketers really have to start thinking like scientists, because we need to understand how to use all of that data, right? And just not like, just bring it all in. We have to be strategic about that. All right, so now we layer on predictive. And predictive is, hey, I have a customer that looks like this. Um, find me data points that cluster with this. And this is actually what my PhD was. My PhD was, I know aggressive breast cancer looks like this. Find me data points that look like this, that associate with that. It's the same thing. I have a customer profile that looks like this. Find me characteristics of people that associate with, with these type of customers, right? That's, that's what predictive is all about. And, you know, I think it, it, on that topic, right, like when you talk, start talking about intent data, right, um, a lot of the time it's easy to get to the static profile of what businesses and people. Then you start, like you said, layering this intent. One of the challenges I've had with intent is they basically have 89,000 keyword signals that you can target. And how, how if you're a brand that wants to onboard intent, do you figure out like the 50 or a hundred that are the right clusters for you. I mean, have you, have you had yeah. success with that process? Yeah. And intent is, you know, it's intent is a really hot topic. There's a lot of vendors out there that are offering intent. Um, I see a lot of people get on the bandwagon um, and rightfully so, you know, it's like a new toy that we've had or new invention that we've had, but we just haven't had a lot of time to play with it. Now that we've had a couple years and I've done, you know, a couple years worth of different implementations, kind of see and kind of look right. Like I make them as, you know, I try something. Oh, well, that wasn't such a good idea. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not like I have some magic superpower. It's just I get the opportunity to try it a bunch of times more so than, you know, if you were just at one company and, and see, you know, what's going on um, um, in the industry um, with intent data. Right. Usually it's the first thing is intent data. How are we using it? We want to throw it to the salespeople. How not to do what not to do, and again, from you know learning that lesson personally, is well, let's take all the intent data, and if someone's intenting, let's just toss it over to sales, and like good luck, right? I mean, but we didn't know what else to do with it, right? Yeah. So I yeah. mean, and it's okay if you know everyone out there is like, oh, that was me. Look, it was me too. So we're all in the same boat, and so we all learned. Wow, the salespeople don't know what to do with it. We haven't given very discreet, like if you see this, do this. So, and you have to remember that intent data is on a company level. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so, so if someone at a very large company, if no, it's not someone, it's a company is surging on these topics, you know, what is that? What do I do with that data? So we, so it's almost like you, again, you have to have that strategy. So a couple of different ways. And, it, and again, it, I would also put it, plot it on a maturity scale, right? It's not about, this is the strategy. This is the best practice. 
what's hard about just kind of what we do is that, you know, I, I try to, to um, you know, get away from this is the best practice thing to do and more of this is the best practice thought exercise or framework because every situation is going to be different. Every company is going to be different. The people, the personalities, the skill sets, the politics, everything is going to be different. So, I, you know, what works at one company is not going to work at another company. And that's what we tend to do, right? We see like, oh, these use cases, you know, you were able to get this great success. I, as a marketer, I'm going to repeat that. But I've, I've switched it to a lot of my, you know, what I'm sharing my experiences to here's the thought process that I go to so that everyone has that framework and then they can cater it to their unique organizations for a higher probability of success. All right, so, so for the intent, you have you know, a maturity scale for intent. So when you first get it, it's let's look at the data and see you know, the keywords. You might, wanna, you might want us to start with, there's 50 keywords and you're just gonna do one cluster, right? It's just, and then you just look at number of keywords. So then you look at the data week by week, right? Because the one thing about intent data is time dependent. It's going to change this week to next week to the next the next week, which is a little different than you know demographic data. That's not going to change. So you have to account for that time component. Also, you want to look at the spread, right, of your of your accounts. Like what percent of your spread is like hitting fifty keywords? Probably not a lot. Is thirty? What percentage of that is ten keywords? Is that a lot? So you're going to have to kind of look at a couple weeks worth of data to get a feel for the volume that's coming in. And then I really like combining intent data with additional signals, right? Because intent, salespeople normally don't do with that. But what you could do is you can have someone, an account that is surging for that week, add some points in addition to if someone at that account has a behavior score. So you're combining Mm -hmm. intent with an action on their part maybe lowering the bar to get MQL, right? So if MQL is at 100 points and they're doing something, but their their account is surging, that gives them a couple points to help them bump them up a little bit. So you're basically effectively lowering the bar for them to MQL. That is one way to do it. Another, I mean, other complementary ways are, you know, if they're, a, if they're a target account and they surge, then you escalate that to the salespeople with very clear signals. And again, the clearer the data, the better, like a red, yellow, green, right? You don't want them to just, you don't want to dump the raw data over to sales. You could also use the data to kind of add people to specific nurtures. And then that gets, right, I mean, then then becomes the, 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 the mm-hmm. endless possibility. Then you take your clusters and then you start subclustering. There's generic terms and more like competitor terms, brand terms, and then you weight the clusters a little differently. And then you can combine, and then you can start doing things like, outputting a score based on weighted clusters, right? Because then you can see how the complexity can go, but you want to kind of take one step at a time, run the data and see, right? I mean, it's an experiment. You run the data and you try, am I getting better? Are the are the conversion rates that my sales team is having better? Maybe you refine more, right? So there's there's like a, like a kind of a path of maturity to how you would use intent data. And I think people yeah. just come in and they're just like, oh, I have intent data. Let me just plug it into my whole system. Let me shove it over to the sales team. Let me give it to marketing. But we haven't taken a step back and understand how to use that data. And on top of that, if you buy a bunch of tools, you're getting intent data from multiple sources or you're getting demographic data from multiple sources. And what I see a lot of is we're just ingesting the whole, whole um, all of the data. And we're not strategically thinking about, well, if I'm getting demographic data from three sources, who wins? 
And the and the, the the not the correct answer is who's right because data, you know, as marketers, we're like, oh, but you know, this data vendor got it, you know, wrong. This is wrong, like two percent of the time. Data does not is not a hundred percent. Like no vendor is going to be a hundred percent. You just you have to you know assess it for your situation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, you know this brings me to a topic. The way we internally use data at the account level to drive a model is we have demographics, right? Size of business and that. And we have technographics because to us, we care about technologies. It's a oh, big yeah, thing. Definitely. And then we have uh, like Crunchbase has data on um, how if something, if somebody's fast growing or if they have a certain set of board members or venture back, uh, you know, uh, capital uh, in, infrastructure. And then, we tie that into scores of a finance score, um, a, a technology score by CRM, by marketing automation, um, an intent score. We, we have clusters of sales uh, intelligence, lead routing and data hygiene, uh, and then competitors. And then we have the general firmographic. So they all create their own independent scores. So like if a marketer wants to look at a series of target accounts by any one of those attributes, they can. And then there's an accumulative score. And then the accumulative score gets the engagement score driven. There's a, a one separate score with the uh, engagement score. So like if you're a sales rep and you have your set of target accounts, you know, to me, I've done sales and I'm, I love responding to engaged leads. But like if I can just look at my set of best accounts and rank them by engagement and all the other stuff that is important, demographics and, and intent. I'm like, boom, I just want to hit the lowest hanging fruit. And then, you know, the four or five personas that you want to call when they're showing intent for the few signals that are showing on your thing. And so it makes it super easy. And I think that's what you just took me through there. It's like all of that should drive a total. Now, how or what do you see is used most to create these like models? Is it done in Excel um, uh, where do you find that companies are keeping this information? And, uh, well, you know, I, th I think especially from a marketing operations and living so much of my life in Marketo, what I'm seeing more, right? Because there's so much data, right? We hear about Tableau, you hear about BI. I think from a from a marketing operations perspective, I think we need to grow with where the where the where the role is taking us now. Right, which is we need to grow into the analytics piece and live in data warehouses. And, you know, where I'm seeing, um, you know, Marketo and Salesforce and Excel and Tableau isn't good enough anymore. Right. Because we have all these all all of this data. It has to all be aggregated somewhere in a in a place right where we can write the logic rules for the scoring because we can't just shove like 15 scores at a salesperson or a marketing person. So what I'm seeing a lot of is a, you know, for growing companies is also having a BI team, a data engineering team, a data set team, um, you know, and a, and a separate, you know, data lake or data warehouse where all of these things need to feed into. And where I think from a marketing oper operations and marketing ops professional is we're getting pushed into we need to also start getting out of just you know a marketo admin and knowing a little bit of salesforce into more of we need to be expanding into the bi realm and have familiarity with 
um, how to work with an analytics folks and data scientists and data engineers so we can have a seat at the table from a business perspective to drive some of these strategic conversations around, well, how are we going to aggregate the data, right? Like you're saying, an engagement score, an, uh, a technographic score, right, from all these different signals and bringing them together. And then there's there's what we're seeing is also like, do you build yourself? Do you buy? What what pieces do you buy? And that, that leads to a, a whole additional level of, stra- of strategic, you know, thought, thought experiment. I agree. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of options out there, and then you start having AI get in the mix, and then, you know, at the at the, at some point, what what a rep wants is contextualized information, right? And that's where I find there's got to be a mix of two, right? There should be like this. I call it the best buyer model, right? Where if you're the head of sales or marketing in your organization, you're like you're in demand gen, you should know, like the key characteristics of your best buyers, just to just buy having that touch with them. And so from a management perspective, what I've seen with some of like the PE firms and stuff who really want to get their company focused is they, they do, they buy them the AI stuff that like tells you if it's an A, B or C and sales reps are like, yeah, whatever. And then they have their best buyer model that like spits out the criteria. It was like, it was this size. They had this technology installed, you know, they had this intent. They were searching these 30 things, like call them. Well, you so, know, I, 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 I think there's two sides, like two sides of the coin, or was it? It's a double-edged sword. Well, because a lot, some, a lot of those times where I've seen, you know, those profiles, it's like, well, yeah, I could have told you that without, you know, doing the model. It's like the salespeople go, like, well, duh, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so I, I do think those are helpful, you know, in in some use cases. But where I see a lot of fallacy happen in just in data in general and coming up with models is that the fallacy of we're biasing what we're doing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like I always I always joke or I always say like, you know, we really need to be the data whisperer, meaning we need to listen to the data, what the data is telling me. So when when someone asks me, you know, and they and, and, and these questions are hard, you know, all I mean, you know, I've, I've spoken for years about analytics and reporting you know, and it's a very popular topic because this is something that everyone wants. They need it to, you know, to, to prove their worth and keep their jobs. Um, every, you know, CMO um, and VP of marketing wants to know, like, what's happening to their marketing and where, 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 where their investments are going. But these are very open-ended questions. And so people ask, like, well, what reports do I need to look at? Do, you know, do I need to look at clicks or engagement? Right? But, but that's not the right, that's not the right answer, what you need to do again, and this this really comes from, and I don't expect anyone, I, again, I don't expect anyone to know this because this is what I did for my degree. When we were looking for signals, we're not making the assumption that, hey, if you have purple shoes and you like, you know, and you like um, cookies and you like chocolate ice cream, therefore you are the ideal customer profile. You're layering that. But we, but we do that all the time. I mean, you laugh. I'm sure all of you are laughing at home too. Like, but we do that all the time. Yeah, that's right. We I, already, I, I don't really think of it like this, but it's true. Yeah. We already bias it. So it's like, I'm looking for a needle in the haystack. And I'm already saying like, well, is this right? No. And is this right? Because we're already biasing towards it. Instead, it's it's a, it's a, it's a data science. It's actually from, again, it's from my research where it's a, it's a technical term called um, unsupervised hierarchical clustering. So if you want to geek out over that, you can geek out over that. But basically what it's saying is, I'm all I'm looking for, all I'm looking at is, People that are customers, 
people that are not, right? Or people that engage in nurtures, people are not. I'm not, I'm not biasing. It's called mm-hmm. an a priori approach. So again, if you want to keep up, it's called a priori means prior knowledge, means no knowledge. And I'm looking at the haystack and I'm like, huh, I know that where there's a needle tends to discolor the hay. So instead of saying like, is this piece it? Is this piece it? I'm like, let me look and see where the data is clustering, where I'm seeing a pattern. And then mm-hmm. I go there and then I dig deeper into that. I'm like, huh, that cluster looks interesting. Can I tell a story about these pieces, right? So if you see if you see the cluster of, you know, hey, someone really converts well when within three days they downloaded an ebook, they went to, a, they, they signed up for a webinar, but they didn't attend and they, you know, I don't know, did, you know, did something else, right? But I'm not coming out with the hypothesis first. I'm actually looking at the cluster of data and seeing if I can tell a story amongst these 10 things. Maybe I can link four or five of them together into a story. And then it's a, it's a process of iteration. Then I do more of that and I go back to the sales team or the SDR team and say, hey, what do you think? Oh yeah, that makes sense. Let's try more of that. And you, so it's a process of iteration. And and this is literally like what I did for my PhD because what happens is, you know, when I talk about those data signals about aggressive breast cancer and not aggressive, we look at clusters of data in, and it's displayed in color. So we're literally seeing red clusters. And then we go look at the data points, which are genes and proteins. And we're trying to see, are they part of the same family? Do they interact? Can I tell a story around them? And then we build the story that way. So it's very much the same thing, right? And that's exactly the same kind of analysis that I do when someone asks, here's my digital marketing. Tell me what's working, right? Because it's a very open-ended question. We just look at the data and see what's an outlier. What are things that are colored and clustered together? And can I tell a story? So for example, what we found out from one of the analysis of, 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 you know, that I did for an engagement, it's like, huh, this unsubscribe rate for people that are engaged in nurture is exceptionally low. So that tells to me that, you know, people that are engaged, you can send them a lot of messages. It doesn't bother them. Right. Versus, versus people that aren't engaged, they're annoyed after and they just don't want to hear from you versus the other question that I hear, which again, I don't think is the, is the question I would not ask is, how many emails do I send until people are pissed off and unsubscribed? I'm sure you hear that question a lot, right? Oh, yeah. But that's not the right question. You got to come at it that the other way around. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now that we've kind of understand a little bit more about your, you know, your background and, and analytics and, and, and success stories, do you have any like data horror stories where, you know, <laughs> you can share that just, you know, just were, took you off your game? Well, I mean, data cleanliness and data hygiene is paramount to being able to execute effectively as a marketer, right? Period, end of story, full stop, right? I mean, the biggest thing that all of us, you know, encounter is, uh, you know, duplicates. (laughs) You need to have an active strategy to deal with duplicates, right? Our databases are living, breathing machines, 
that we need to respect, right? It's not going to keep itself clean, right? <laughs> got to have a house cleaner come in <laughs> on a regular basis. You got to tune up your car on a regular basis. There's no difference to keeping your database clean. But how many of us marketers out there is that on top, the you know, top priority or top of their list? Probably it's like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it. But here's how it affects, you know, what happens. If you have duplicates, then, um, you know, duplicates affect attribution, right? If you're doing something and something's a duplicate and you have 10% duplicates in your database, sometimes you have 30% duplicates in your database. That's, you know, if those duplicates are active, you're attributing to the wrong, like, to a different person. You, you know, is that revenue leakage okay with you? Or where do we place that importance? You know, there's things like, I mean, I, I talked uh, last, you know, two years ago now, it's been two years since I've been at Summit in Vegas. Um, you know, I talked uh, at Summit at the keynote about ABM, right? You know, people want to do ABM, but you can't even, we can't even talk about starting an ABM strategy until we have clean account level data. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the granularity, right? The VPs of marketing aren't thinking about, well, do you call GE, GE, or GE healthcare, or GE comma, GE period, comma, Inc., right? Like a VP isn't thinking about that when they're saying, hey, we need to have an ABM initiative, but that data account cleanliness is at the crux, that that data dictionary and that data account cleanliness is at the at the beginning. You can't do anything until you can agree on, you know, how how accounts are labeled in your CRM or in your in your um, data warehouse. Right. You can't you can have the best alignment with sales and marketing. You can have your entire marketing ABM strategy. You can have cross channel, you know, um, direct mail, omni channel, right? All, all that stuff. But you're basically dead in the water if you can't figure out how to identify Acme Co. Right? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and not to mention, like we all do. I see people do these big target account like strategy sessions, and they don't even have parent child hierarchies or like you know. They don't know if the companies are invested by the same portfolio or something. And all of a sudden you input that data and they're like, oh, wow, my, my entire target strategy changed. Just this one company owns like 300 others. And, you know, maybe we should, you know, go after and align a little differently. Um, I, I really have. And I think the audience could get a lot of value out of this question because, you know, you you branded yourself around Marketo and Adobe for a reason, right? And um, I want to know why, like, you love and just technically, why do you like Marketo so much? You could probably talk for hours. You know, because I I came from a demand gen background. So I did I did years of demand gen field marketing. I lugged, you know, boots on an airplane, as I'm sure many of you all out there have. Right. So you know, I've been in situations where as a demand gen person, I'm beholden to whoever owned the automation system at the company. And my success is tied to their success. And, you know, I bleed purple. Now Marketo Engage purple-ish Adobe Red. (laughs) It's a different shade of purple. It's like magenta now, right? (laughs) Um, It's very red. (laughs) But um, I bleed purple because the the entry to get into being able to use marketo is low meaning mm. you know we can get and enable and empower 
marketers. And if you've been in the Marketo Engage community for a really long time, you know, like seven, eight, nine years ago, their motto was marketers first. They drank the Kool-Aid. We drank the Kool-Aid. It's marketers first. It's not, let me go talk to a marketing operations IT professional to explain to them that aren't marketers what I'm trying to do, which I've been there. And so my success was hindered by that barrier versus I can go into market. Now, Marketo is incredibly powerful, but the barrier to getting in and, and democratizing the utilization of Marketo is you know, much wider and it's more powerful and it's scalable, right? So I was at a point the you know, can be the only marketing person at a company. And, and actually in 2014, I gave a talk at Summit. So it was a long time ago about building your virtual demand gen army with Marketo because a small company has a very similar challenges as a large company, but there's only one of me, right? But with Marketo, it can scale and you can do things really, really smart and you can really push the envelope. And I don't need to have the very intense, you know, coding background. I mean, Marketo really mm -hmm. is visual coding. So, and, and I can tell you right now, I am not a coder. I lasted three days in a Perl class in grad school and was like, this is not for me. I was like, I'm trying to parse the table. Mm -mm. <laughs> nope, not me. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's accessible to the majority of marketers, right? Because marketers, you know, think a certain way. And there are those people that span into, you know, marketers who are very tech savvy, but there are also those marketers that don't. So you're able to, you know, um, it's able to appeal to a large variety of audiences without sacrificing the power. So that low barrier entry, the marketing first, the the um, the scalability, and and really, it's a it's it, you can tinker with Marketo, right? Because a lot of times, if you're, yeah. if you're if if it's very simple, you kind of lose the power behind it. But I mean, I'm coming up with new ways to do things in Marketo every week and pushing the envelope of like, oh, well, here's this nifty thing that we, right? Because it's, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, it's a blank, it's a blank, it's an empty, mm -hmm. it's a blank slate, right? So it can be challenging, I think, when people have the expect, or when basically when, you know, it's just basically setting expectations, right? I mean, I've, I've been, I, I think less so now. But, you know, I came from a world, you know, many, many, many moons ago where, oh, Marketo was like this, this one line item in your job description, right? Where you did demand gen, you did this and like, it's like, and you own the automation system Marketo. I'm like, that's three people's job right there. But I think there is, you know, over the course of the past decade or so, an appreciation for us, you know, marketing operations professionals, which is fantastic. Um... Right, because it's not Excel. It's not Word. It's not, you know. You guys are taking over the entire life cycle of the journey. So, like, everybody, like, finance even has to talk to the Marketo admins to send out their emails, right? And, like, hey, can you can you templatize this invoice email for me? But, does it make um, sense? Or does it make sense to come out to Marketo? And, and making those decisions, like, do we want do we want employees in Marketo so we send HR communication out of it, right? Think, things like that. And where... You know, and this kind of comes back to, you know, marketing operations and why I chose that as a, you know, as why I've stuck with it as a profession. Because, you know, we're the, I say that we're the center of the universe, not to be like, hey, you know, we're important, but we're the center of the universe underneath 
like in the in the basement, right? Where if everything's going well, no one's going to give us a call and be like, "Hey, you're doing an awesome job." It's we power and our stakeholders run the gamut at the company, and we can affect. And really, we're an accelerant. We're an accelerant to everything that demand gen, yeah. field marketing does, that sales does. We can accelerate and impact such a large scope at the company um, because we touch so many aspects of it. And it's a very... That's a great yeah. explanation. An accelerant is what the office department is. I love that. Um, one uh, more question about just kind of a lot of a lot of the listeners love to solve big problems with data and they know they have maybe a challenge um, but getting people to take it seriously and buy a solution not even a solution or uh, you know make an engagement get uh, executive sponsorship to address a problem that has to do with data it can be a challenge and so what do you think when you're going into your organization wanting to address you know, a challenge, whether it's better analytics or being able to enable IBM, you know, obviously, like when you're needing a data solution, like what are you, what hard strings are you pulling to, to get those types of, you know, things approved? Right. It's creating that business case. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the executive leadership wants to see, well, if you buy this solution, how much more revenue am I going to get? And that's a really challenging question. To answer because mobs were an accelerant, right? Like we don't we don't make the phone calls, we don't book the meetings, we don't create the campaigns, you know, but we have to make the justification because typically in a lot of things, we own the tech stack, the investment, and the bill <laughs> that does that, right? So, you know, in an ideal case, we can make I can make the business case by by um by uh, calculating on FTE, so full-time employee time, um, translating uh, efficiencies, right? Like our, the number of hours, um, you know, so I brought in a, a solution where before we were manually doing it. So that was like, well, we have to do this, you know, because it's harder because it's like, well, either we have the data or we don't, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to translate to revenue numbers. But if, and in many cases from the executive leadership team, they want to see hard and fast numbers. And that's where, partnering with the sales team, you know, like someone on the sales side where, okay, and you have to do, it's really back of the envelope calculations, right? Where it's like, okay, if we were able to increase meeting conversion rate by X percent, because, or, right, because like, say you have to dial 100 phone calls to make, you know, X number of meetings to hit your goal. If we were able to provide this data and this data, I need sales and BDR feedback to say, if I was able to provide you this and this and this, what could your meeting booking rate percentage change? And what people don't mm -hmm. under, people don't realize is that people are so focused on the funnel and like they're trying to get more out of the revenue. And what they do is they just pour more stuff up top, right? I need more revenue. So I'm just going to pour more stuff at the top, 2X amount of stuff at the top. Unless you played with an Excel model, um, which I have one, where you change a middle funnel piece by 1%, tiny. It is many times more effective than two or three X, the, the increase wow. on top of funnel. And it's just straight math. It's just straight math. I believe it. I'm a believer. I've, I've gone into many a management meeting with that same message. I just, 
I have an Excel I spreadsheet. That. I'm like, you know, here, here's the math. Let me show you. And then I back it up with partnering with the BDRs and partnering with the leaders of sales and inside sales and saying, how do I increase this 1%? If I gave you this, 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 so you can have better conversations and then let's pilot it. Let's get the hard data yeah. with like one or two, you know, really good, um, you know, reps that work in partnership. That's going to help me champion it from the sales and the marketing side together. Right. And then, and then show the data where if I provide this data, this data, this data, or, Hey, we have duplicates. This is obscuring 20% of the revenue that I may or may not be getting. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It could be why we're not hitting that projected pipeline every, and we got to this pipeline. We're not hitting the, you know, the, 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 the what is it called? Uh, when the AI tells you what you're going to hit that quarter and, and you just come in a little bit low because it's 20% of your record for duplicates. But, you know, actually, we're at the end of our hour right now. I would I think we're going to have to do this like two or three more times because I think you have so much knowledge that we didn't even begin to scratch the surface. But, um, you know, Jessica, I think we really all I think I'm, I'm speaking for the listeners and everybody in the community appreciate not just what you share on the show today, but just being you in the community. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you being here today and, and want to wish you luck to all the other engagements that you probably have, you know, coming right around the corner. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So Grant, you're going to need to end the clip and then, uh, we have another call back to back with one more person. So, okay. Um, Jessica, we won't release anything or anything until we send you a bunch of edited clips. The turnaround typically takes like three weeks. It's not quick because there's a lot of time, you know, stuff that goes into it. Um, but we really appreciate you. And I'll probably send you like, uh, in the next few days, this Sendoso thing. So we can send like a cool Ember coffee mug to your house and you can, uh, you know, have something for, for being here with us today. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to leave the the browser open okay. yes and grant are you there can you confirm that you've you're, you you can you can hop off the uh you there just one second 